electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Hi, Sarah. Thank you. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, surging stocks, S&P nearing a new record high. Now our investment committee debates where the rally really goes from here. Joining me for the hour, Joe Terranova, Jenny Harrington, Steve Weiss. We're all at post nine as we check the markets today. So we said we're green across the board. NASDAQ 100 hits a new record high today. Russell 2000 is at a new 52-week high. Jenny, industrials and tech hitting a new high. Discretionary communications materials, 52-week high. The Santa Claus rally is in full swing. It sure is. So I, I have in my head is all well that ends well. And, it, it, you know, particularly from my dividend perspective, right, where if you look at some of the dividend indices, they started January up a lot, actually went into significantly negative territory. Now they're positive on the year. The S&P has just been up, up, up all year. And so is all well that ends well? Maybe, but what I'm getting nervous about is looking into next year. And does all the froth and this huge rally into year end, does it set us up? for a successful 2024, because in the markets, like it never ends, you know, and that's that's what has me a little uncomfortable right now. It feels great. It's gonna be really nice to send clients their quarterly reports with great numbers. It's gonna be nice to write a quarterly letter with great numbers, but what does next year hold? And it feels a little crazy to me to be up 26% this year and to be looking into next year and reading earnings reports or and, and reports from this year where it's like, oh, hey, they had a great quarter because they didn't disappoint. Hey, unless, they didn't disappoint. unless you believe that this good story, uh, Steve, is just beginning. Goldman put out their 10 forecasts for 2024. Uh, their most out of consensus call is their growth forecast. GDP is going to beat expectations. Consumer spending beats expectations. Core PCE falls below the Fed's 2.4% target. The Fed will cut five times. Now, this is from team. I, I don't think this is specific to Jan Hatzius, but team Goldman. Um, they've been consistently lowering their recession odds almost the whole way. Um, what do you make of what they say? Because this builds the case that this is not just a end of year run phenomenon that soon just rolls yeah. over as the calendar does. Yeah, I don't think that'll be the case. Not to say there won't be profit taking. I know, you know, for me in certain accounts that there will be some profit taking. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure it's gonna be day one, but I am looking to lighten a couple of positions from a portfolio standpoint, because they've gotten so big from this year. You so believe you, this, what they say? Yeah, you know, look, I've looked back over the last uh, 60 years, actually, and seen how often we could have multiple years in a row of 20 to 30 percent. And it's not as rare as you would think. So the possibility is definitely there. In terms of markets, they're directional. So to me, right now, at this point, it doesn't matter if they cut six times or if they cut three times. What may matter is when they start cutting. So if well, it, matter, it matters why they cut. Well, it, that, does, that, it does. That matters more than anything else, yeah, frankly. Right. They, they cut because they cannot because Absolutely. they have to. And, and that's been my narrative, right? If they cut because the economy's 
in a tailspin, then you don't want to be there. Well, all bets are off then for the market. Right, right. But the recession question is not answered completely yet. But here's what I think. So I think there will continue to be momentum in the market uh, going into first quarter earnings. And, you know, I've thought about this a lot over the last year. Like, why isn't the market really trading down? Now, get away from Magnificent 7. It was basically flat for most of the year. Last couple of months, it moved up. But I think that you can't discount the fact that we've had free money 15 years. We've had a whole new investor class over those 15 years that's just used to it going up, that pays no attention to volatility, well, doesn't get know. scared I mean, out of the market. Last year was a lousy year. What do you mean? They, they were 22. They were maybe shocked by the fact that they thought stocks right. only went up until they found out that they actually didn't. Right. But then we take a look at the stocks got the hardest there, right? I mean, where we are on Meta, Meta's a new high, but it's relatively, you know, uh, it, it, it's not a huge new high from where we were, right? We were trading the 330s a couple of years ago. So it's come back. So my point is that I don't know how they're going to look at it. I don't know if they're going to look at it saying, we're going to get through this recession. Rates are lower. We always get through it. But for now, what's important for now, for the next month or so, I think we're fine in the market. And I think it keeps going as long as rates keep going down. Mm-hmm. Rates reverse meaningfully. It's a different well, story. But nobody sees that, well, including the other, me. The other thing, Joe, is that, you know, what Goldman's talking about, and it's, I'll paraphrase, it's like Powell doesn't want to blow it either, right? He doesn't want to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. They say the rapid decline in inflation is likely to lead to cuts early and fast to reset the pol- policy rate right, to, so- a, to a more normal level, right? They, the, the worst mistake they could make at this point is waiting too long to cut rates and allow these higher rates to do damage to the economy that doesn't need to be done. Okay. They're mindful of that. So what, what Goldman is describing with its 10 forecast for 2024 is 1994, 1995, 1996, that scenario where in 94, the Fed was fighting inflation, raising rates aggressively. November of 94, they raised 75 basis points. It's the last time we did it until 2022. 95, they raised one more time. And then guess what? By the summer of 95, they're beginning to cut rates because inflation falls, risk assets respond accordingly, and we have a tremendous rally from 95 to 96. That's the scenario that the Federal Reserve is identifying. But I think Steve hits on what is most important. Everyone's talking about the Santa Claus rally. The Santa Claus rally came at the end of October. Guess what? What happened in the third quarter, where Treasury yields went up 107 basis points, never happened. That was basically the Santa Claus gift. We went from 394 to 501 in the third quarter. The markets responded to that by correcting double digits. That never happened because we're now sitting at 381 for a 10-year. We're below the entire range in the third quarter. And I think it's all about the relief that we've seen in yields. Now, to me, the big thing is to try and identify why yields are not bouncing. Are yields not bouncing? I said this yesterday. Are yields not bouncing because they see something in Nike, in FedEx, in the economy that's saying, you know what? Goldman Sachs is wrong. Why would they peak growth? Why do they need to bounce, though? Why why do they need to bounce? I mean, they're they're normalizing like everything else. Because where we're trying to get ahead of what the Fed is is theoretically going to do. Because right now they're way ahead of where the Federal Reserve is. And if GDP growth is going to beat expectations, if the consumer spending is going to beat expectations, the Federal Reserve, okay, in terms of beginning to cut rates, in that scenario, they're not cutting rates in March, to your point, because 
Chairman Powell doesn't want to take uh, doesn't want to take victory from defeat. So they're not cutting in March. They're cutting maybe in the summer. And in that scenario, we've got a Treasury yield, a 10-year Treasury, which is priced a lot lower than where it ultimately should be. You should be seeing a bounce. Oh, the only thing not, is, what's not, the not message? Necessarily, because. If you look at where the, let's just for argument's sake, say the PCE deflator, mm -hmm. the six month view on that is below the Fed's target. So why should rates be any higher than they are now? If you look at the outlook for inflation, it implies that the market is actually correct mm -hmm. and that like it was correct in the last few months where the Fed had to come to it it's going to have to do that again, and it's going to be able to do it because inflation expectations are, over six months from now, below the Fed's target of 2%. It's like 1.9. That's correct. That's what you want. And that's exactly what you want, but you have to be careful in that scenario that the disinflation borders on actual deflation. And I think there, there is a little bit within the market that could be hinting that's in fact where we're heading. That's not a good scenario. That's not a perfect landing well, if we're talking about deflation. Goldman describes in many ways, Jenny, a small caps mania trade, which is why Tom Lee says you're going to go 50% up on small caps. People look at the Russell, you know, right now, which has done 16% or 15% in one month. Right. Okay. Their scenario of growth beating expectations, inflation coming down, five rate cuts, that lights an already ready to burst small cap trade on absolute fire, doesn't it? I think so. And I think that's what we really saw as rotation, right? And I think that will continue into next year. I don't like the idea that it could be mania or manic. I don't like the idea that it might be up 30 or 50%. That was my, that was my word. Yeah. That was my word um, because that's what it would be. It, if it you're be up 50%, correct. you would have what happened to mega cap this year happen to small cap next. Right. And, and it would be disappointing to see that only in that. And, and by the way, yes, they do deserve to have a huge run. They're wildly undervalued by every metric, by multiples, by historic um, valuation ranges by however you look at it. But I think I think when I think into 2024, I think this rotation that we saw that started at the end of October continues. And that's where small cap benefits, value benefits, international benefits, everything that didn't participate in the huge moves up this year, I think, I think benefits next year on a relative basis. And then we get into the argument about magnitude, right? Is it going to be up 50%? Is it going to be manic? Or is it going to be steady? You know, I would love just to see steady. To this year, I thought this year was the worst, right? Like it would have been so much nicer if it was just up 1% each month, one and a half percent each month, whatever it was. This year sent people for a total head game. And so I worry that that's kind of the market we're in where we have it down 20% in 22 and up 26% in 2023. And I hope that we don't see more of that, although you're probably right we will, because there is a gamification of the market that's happened, right? We do know that 85% plus of trading volume each done is done by algorithmic robotic trading programs. That doesn't lead to, or that doesn't lend itself to rational calms, like slow and steady wins the race. Edgar Denny's talking about. Why? Well, it hasn't so far. Edgar Denny's talking about 
S&P hitting 5,400 yeah. next year. Probably the, the highest target out there. It just sounds like it, as, Here's as, you, as you feel like euphoria yeah. is getting a little bit stronger, that makes you a little more nervous. Totally. And you see it here. You see, like, Goldman's forecasts are pretty good. Yardeni's pretty good. I know you're coming up on Tom Lee. He's pretty good. I looked at the American Association of Individual Investors. It's the lowest bearish number they've had in years and years. Well, that's why people are starting to say the it, only thing to fear is the fact that there's nothing to fear. 100%. And we've seen that time and again, right? The more bullishness there is in the market, the more uncomfortable I am about the outlook. And I actually asked Patty to send me the rundown from this day last year because I was curious what the strategists were saying. It wasn't as morbid as I thought, but you see when a market's up 26%, everybody's happy again. There's too much euphoria. There's too much expectation. You know, people buy at the top and sell at the bottom, and it's it's a shame. Joe doesn't because, I mean, that's why he wrote the book, Buy High yeah, and, and Sell Higher. Yeah, no, I, I, I still think you could be on the... Uh, you could be offensive in the market and play this broadening out that we're all talking you about. Have the, to bro- play the broadening, the broadening out, out is, is is real. It's happening. It's mm-hmm. built upon the expectation that not only is there rate relief, there's balance sheet relief, in particular for regional banks. I mean, just think about where we were six months ago, talking about all these unrealized losses. It's built upon understanding that six to nine months from now, finally, the Russell two. Te- 2000 is going to come out of the earnings recession. So I, I don't know. I think you're going to get the broadening out. And when I hear some of these price targets, 5,400, it really makes me believe that don't move too, too far away from the mega caps because you're not going to 5,400 without the mega caps contributing in some capacity. Maybe they're not going to hit 60 home runs in a year, but for the yeah. S&P to go to 5,400, they're going to hit 30. This just implies we're going to have a double-digit percentage yes. increase next year. Maybe it's 15, maybe it's 20 at the, at the top end for the, to, to, to reach the most adventurous targets that have been placed on the market. And that remains to be seen. A lot has to go right still. Yeah. You can't declare victory yet. He's not putting on the jumpsuit, calling the aircraft carrier, getting up there and says mission accomplished yet. You know, I'm just looking at Domodorian, Professor Domodorian from NYU Stern School. I'm looking at... Demodorin. Demodorin, right. I got you back. Sorry. Don't worry. Um, um, the dean evaluation. The dean awesome. evaluation. So I've got his. Our apologies, I've got, I've got his numbers here from. I'm about to make him a star. Uh, I'm about to bless him. So from 1950, and when you look at 91 to 99, I don't think it's dissimilar from now because you've got such technology innovation, and you had actually higher rates. Your three-month T-bill was just eyeballing it was around you know three to five percent. Yet you have six periods during then where the market was up. 20 to plus 30% during that period of time. Successive years, there was some interruption. 94, obviously, was a rough year for everybody for lots of reasons. So the market was flat. But other than that, my point is, there's precedent. So past could be prologue. I'm not the most bullish guy in the show, as we all know. But I constantly wonder where I can be wrong. And where I can be wrong is that the market has another great year. Well, maybe it's assuming that the, you know, the AI run can't continue when, in fact, it might be just getting started. Right. Well, that's, it, it, right. that's the argument. Right. So, so look, I said it yesterday. I got I got some pushback in emails that no AI is AI is not new. AI has been around for years and years. Amazon, they've used AI forever. When you buy so when when they see something that's getting a lot of popularity in their site, 
that's hitting their numbers. Yeah, but that's and a then different kind of, of AI. It is. It is. This, this now is, we're ripping the curtain right. back. Right, this, this, is, this, is, this is generative this is, AI. This is, right. This, this is completely different. Well, My in terms to, of productivity and so many other things right. that, that this has the potential to unlock. Right. And I do believe this is the next industrial revolution, like 5G was. It didn't get as much you know, hoopla as this is. So I do believe it's there. But it's also expensive uh, to produce AI, so there are a few players. So where? Do, so I'm not interested in picking next AI technology. I'm not interested in buying, you know, and buying companies that are 100 billion in the private markets where fewer dollars are chasing. Well, maybe you're interested in buying an Amazon, which all of a sudden I is am. in favor from the the notes that I've read today. There's like three or four different notes saying this is the way. Now I've to been play looking it. to add to Amazon. I'll tell you why. Not for AI, but you know, Meta gets all the headlines for efficiency. When you take a look at what Jassy has done. That's driven efficiency further than Meta. Not only has he cut heads, right? He's cut back on logistics spending. If you take a look at Prime Video, right? He's cut back on production. You know, their video offering is, is really punk relative to all the others. And now they're going to charge ads on more of it. They've already been charging ads on others. So, and then you've got cloud. So you want to play in AI, play in the cloud where the compute power you're going to need is much, much greater and the tools you're going to need. So to me, Amazon is the perfect. I'd like to buy it cheaper. May not be able to. I do own it. I just don't own enough of it. And Meta hits See. a new 52-week high today. And there's optimism around that top digital idea from Wedbush for 2024 internet. Yeah, and, and I'm more comfortable with Meta because I think there's higher barrier to entry and less competition coming their way, but just backing up on Amazon, here's something for all of the mega caps that's making me really nervous. I'm reading over the weekend, right? And I'm reading an article about how Timu and Shine each did $20 billion of revenues this year, and that's coming directly out of Amazon. And, they, and the article was saying basically Amazon created its own demise by creating its own its own model for competition. Then, you're, then I was reading something this morning saying BYD actually produced more electric car vehicles than Tesla. And, I, and we've heard all year all these big players yeah, the are coming. Market, the marketplace side of Amazon that is not the growth engine no, but behind the, the point, company anymore. But the point That's is. That's why people are picking it okay. as one of their top plays relative to AI and what uh, AWS but here's my is point, is that these MAG-7 have held the spotlight for so long, and I think it's a little harder to compete with the community that a meta has, that has created, right? Because you can't, just, it's, it, you can't just take your AWS business and go somewhere else. Um, sorry, you can't just take your meta business and go somewhere else the way you can with AWS, or just buy a different electric car, or just use a different AI chip. Meta's up 200% meta's stickier. this year. Meta's like, stickier. So that one I'm comfortable standing behind. You know we've trimmed it because it's gotten a little more expensive. It's harder to think that with that multiple and still like 20%-ish earnings and revenue growth ahead, it's, it's just harder to justify significant growth. But I'll tell you, for the mega caps, competition is coming their way. And I think we're going to see an increased drumbeat on that on that theme in 2024. The e-commerce story's not done. It's only 25% of all commerce, of all retail globally. It's far from done. Like cloud. Cloud is only 25% penetrated. Oh, I'm not suggesting so it's done. Here. I'm just saying no, no. that if, if you're buying Amazon, I don't necessarily think you're you're buying it because of the marketplace and e-commerce business. Not, you're, you're buying it for not. the growth engine that exists that's elsewhere. The fun, but that's the funding engine, right? For what exists In elsewhere. other words, you're not paying an yeah. elevated multiple on Amazon for the marketplace. Definitely not. The point is when you doubt. make a lot of money, everyone's coming for you. Yeah, but I mean when you're the and, when you're the seven, eight hundred pound gorillas in the room, 
who's really coming and at you. And some of those have who? higher barriers to entry. I think Meta has higher barriers to entry. Like, I, I'm going to get beat up on this. I know by who. But one day, there are going to be others who make chips that compete with NVIDIA's. And by the way, even NVIDIA's highest yeah, end chip. Yeah, there is. That's every, called Broadcom and AMD, yeah. and right. they already and are. A, and not everybody's going to need it. And people are going to come for AW, the AWS cloud business. And those are compete like those can be corroded away. Those margins can be corroded away. Do you know the cost you can, of you the cloud business? Do you know the cost that you have to go to put a yeah. cloud business? Yeah, but there's like, you know, Microsoft can compete there. Others can compete. They're going to they're cannibalize each other's margins. My point is it's big margins. enough. The 25% penetration is big enough on that theory. When you make enough money, others are coming for you. you got to sell it. So I should sell Microsoft. I should sell Meta. I should no, sell Alphabet. No. I should sell Amazon. No, no, no. But you probably shouldn't expect them to lead performance for the next decade. I think people have forgotten. If you look at, so cool, actually, look at a chart of Microsoft starting in 2001. And what you see was there's It sounds huge, like somebody who only owns one of the mega caps. Okay, but as I've said all year, you do not need to own the mega caps to have very, very good performance. And there's plenty of things in our discipline growth strategy. You did No, you didn't. Actually, you did. And people who you didn't did. got saved from November 1st to now. Their oh. books look a lot different today than they did on October 15th. Yeah, give me four. I can tell you that. Give me but seven other stocks other, that were up 150%. Okay, Uber, United Rentals, like there's plenty out there that were up a huge amount that you aren't, like XPO. You had to work a lot harder. Correct. If you did not you own the Magnificent Seven. Think. You had to actually do your homework and think as an investor. Speaking of Microsoft, <laughs> let me just hit that real quick. Um, Three trillion in market cap. We're on watch for that. Okay. 275, 28 right now. Um, you have, you know, OpenAI, you've got the lawsuit from the New York Times. Correct. Um, those issues are still going to percolate ar around that business, so just around mm -hmm. the whole idea of what generative AI is, is going to mean. You feel like there's any risk there at all? I don't. I don't. I think the business is fully diversified. I think they've done a phenomenal job over the last several years doing it. I think clearly they are in the mix, in the middle of the innovation surrounding generative AI. That's clear. They're there. They're present. They got ahead of it. I think in terms of cloud growth, there's been some concerns that there's a, a deceleration. I think those concerns are beginning to abate. I think you're going to see an actual acceleration in the cloud growth. So I, I still view Microsoft as a, a must-have core holding for any portfolio. But what's the real growth? Can we just finish that for one second? What's the real growth? Like, let's talk about magnitude. Yeah, it can be a core holding. Everyone's stuck with their low-cost basis. But that stock plateaued after a multi-thousand percent run-up, you know, 90-something to 01. It plateaued for 12 years consolidating that run-up. Totally look different at it now, business, though, then. And you, okay, you, but you, you look at it now. Management. How can it sustain this trajectory? Them, so what are they going to be up by next year? You have to give them. I'm not saying that they're going to they're going to return a similar performance that they did this year. Why do they have to put 50% in the but, book in 2024 Right, so I'm just saying, let's stocks? define it. What, what are they going to be up? 5%, 10% next year? 15? I, I, I think you're, you're, you're trying to pinpoint statistically. I think you're statistically trying to pinpoint reasons not to own it. Correct. When I think the reality is you fundamentally look at the recreation of the company after the period you've cited and recognize, acknowledge, and give them credit for how they've diversified the business and understand and what they've done. And, and going to a subscription model. And what yeah. they've done is they have the recurring revenue. What do you pay and for recurring revenues? is in the share price right now. So getting back to all your beginning of the show. That's it. It's over. Okay. It's done. So. On a relative. So when Scott says, look, there's this huge setup If you could for own it, would you feel differently? Have, it, uh, 
I can own it in the discipline growth strategy, but the free cash flow yield isn't there compared to the earnings growth. The valuation is too stretched. So in our discipline growth strategy, we could own that. But if you're going to the beginning where you're saying like, look, there's a setup for small cap, things like that to do extremely well next year, maybe have a 30, 40% return. Why would you own Microsoft if most of that's already consolidated in the stock and maybe you've got 10 or 15%? I can argue it if you don't want to realize a huge capital gain. Otherwise, if you're, it's an IRA, like wake up, rotation is shit, leadership rotation is shifted. Be there for 2024. So this, let, let me answer that real quickly, okay? The reason why in the environment you're describing, there's a real possibility that next year Microsoft is down 10%. I'll give you that, absolutely. Okay. I still don't want to move away from it. Okay. Because I think what's going to happen in the following year is that you will see the recovery because the business is actually so strong and this isn't the end of the run for Microsoft. And last year at this time, everyone, myself included, made the mistake in thinking, let's not own, it. Let's not own Microsoft because Microsoft had a horrible fourth quarter. Let's move to the sidelines in 2023. Where did that get you? So yeah, you might be down 10% next year, but it's still a core holding until proven otherwise. Here's why okay I own that. Microsoft. It's a permanent compounder. It may have periods where it's flat or maybe even down, but it's a permanent compounder, number one. Number two, it's got a subscription model, recurring revenue. Number three, it's got pricing power. Number four, it's got a brand name recognition that you just don't get with many companies, very few. Number five, They've got the cloud. Number six, they've got AI. Well, they were benefit from dramatically. And I do hope that we see a $100 billion valuation because guess what? Microsoft has a nice value here. So they show they're smart. They show they've got capital to expand their business. It's a perfect stock from that standpoint. So what should the premium be? Should the premium be 50%? I don't see a problem with that. Should it be 30%? Maybe. But at the end of the day, I know Microsoft is going to be higher two years from now, three years, 10 years from now. But I think it already has the 50% premium. And what, what I get so frustrated- So all it has to do is maintain but it. But what I get frustrated about is that we're constantly conflating the story of the company. And these are great. I will never argue with any of you that the story of the company itself is fantastic for all the Mag7. You don't get better company stories than that. But then you need to marry up the valuation and that's where things disconnect. And I just, I just think all the wonderfulness of the story is incorporated in the share price here and now today. paradigms that extend past what a normal right. life would be, and this is one of them. And that's why it's up a thousand percent in the last few years. As it should be. It's not undeserved. Right. And from here, I think it consolidates for a long time. How long? I don't know. Three years, five years. Wow. Could be a while. Okay. Yeah, that's not good. But you don't have a problem paying up for Ubers forward. Well, don't be. forget, we've trimmed it. Remember, we bought it last oh, I year, 22. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, it's not like the... The we've multiple, did, the multiple did not expand um, like exponentially. Correct. Okay. So you mean why on you, Microsoft, but, the multiple but, didn't but you don't have, But you don't have a problem paying up for well, we're not a, adding. A, mature, a, a mature business like Uber. Oh. Why? Okay, so we're not adding Uber What's here and What's Uber's forward PE? I actually don't know off the top of my head. It's probably double what Microsoft. What is, I don't even okay. know what it is off the top of my head either. And that's trimmed and trimmed. There and it I is. What is that, 80? Okay, so okay. I said it's probably double Microsoft. It's right. more than double. But, but again, you don't, and that's I why we trimmed it, it and, I, I and trimmed it. You know, and there've been a lot of analysts out there saying like, okay, it could be sixty-five dollars. And I think at some point you said, great, this is a source of yeah, cash. But you didn't trim it because of the PE. You trimmed it because the stock had a huge Both. return. But it's one in the same, right? They go hand in hand. Once the stock has a huge return, the PE gets stretched. You take it down for good risk management. I'm going to bet you that Uber's probably not in the portfolio. I don't know for sure. I'm going to bet you that we have a better 
that we have a better upside potential candidate in the next three months, and that Uber gets replaced by so that. So I've, I've got an average 14 percent. Make this the last comment, because right. I got average, to first, average revenue growth of 14 percent over the next three years, yep. and average earning growth over the next three years of about 20 percent. Why wouldn't I pay a premium for predictable, dependable growth like that? And you left out one. All it has to do is you left out one metric: free cash flow, free cash flow generation, sixty-three billion to a hundred billion. All it has to do is track the earnings. Coming up, we got more portfolio strategy for the year ahead. A new voice joining our halftime report as well at Post Night Top Dividend Plays for 2024. We're back right after this. Jake from State Farm here, hanging out with Mel's Mow and Grow. Mel chose State Farm for small business insurance because his local agent is a small business owner too. So she knew how to help him personalize his policies. And now he's rolling in the green. Like a, like a good neighbor. Guys, I'm trying to do the line. Oh, sorry, Jake. It's all good. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Dividend stocks largely underperforming the broader market this year. However, our next guest believes the group is set for a bounce back in 2024. Joining us now, Post 9, Matt Powers of the Powers Advisory Group. Welcome. Good to have you. Uh, Thank you for having me, Scott. On our show. Thank you for having me. So you run a dividend strategy. That's sort of your core strategy. Explain. Yeah, so core strategies, dividend focused, um, primarily uh, current yield, dividend growth, uh, sector specific. So, um a decade or so, I've I've ran the firm, and this has been our core strategy for the so firm. So not just dividend payers, dividend growers. Yeah, that as well. Yeah, yeah. Jenny, this is uh, that's her space. I know. Yeah, I know. No, it's her wheelhouse, which yeah, is why yeah. we're so happy to have you on today when Jenny's on. It's fun, and we were talking before the show, and I was saying, oh, this is why it's also fun to be on with Kevin Simpson because Matt and Kevin are really focused on dividend growth. I'm really focused on dividend income, where the portfolio objective is to have a 5% or better dividend yield. And so, well, kind of like the fundamental foundation of our research is the same, then we're looking for two different things. So where you're looking for, has the dividend you know, been in place for a really long time? Have they grown it for a really long time? I'm looking more to say, like, you know, is it a 5% or better dividend yield, and how sustainable is that? But we're both looking for, you know, is it a mature company that can support that, cover that, grow it into the future? Are we going to have a better year for, for dividend stocks? I think so. I think the pendulum swinging, obviously, with potential uh, rate cuts going into next year. Um, you know, it's it's kind of difficult to come on and talk about, hey, let's buy a dividend stock right now. Oh, when we just had the year easy. we the year we were talking about this ahead of time. <laughs> the year we had in uh, in 2023 with the seven. I know we talk. You guys talk about it all the time. The magnificent seven. Um, we feel like moving forward, it's kind of the time. It's the time to start buying dividend stocks and giving these a look. Joe? Matt, what's the growth rate that you look at and what's the variability on it? So I'll just, I'll give you a specific example. And this is one we like a lot, PNC Financial. So their 10-year dividend growth rate is 14% a year, okay. meaning that 
you bought this stock 10 years yep. ago, $1.75 so um, for an annual dividend. Now it's over $5, a div, you know. So 14% is awfully high, usually 5% or higher 5 on, on a 10-year basis, yeah. Okay. Healthcare. Um, I've read some notes lately that suggest, I think Barron's even had one today, suggesting that healthcare is due for a bounce. Even in general election years, healthcare stocks typically don't do well. You get a lot of rhetoric from both candidates about what they're going to do to drug prices, blah, blah, blah. But you like Medtronic. Yeah. So at a med device space, why? Yeah. Kind of a left turn. So not pharma. But Medtronic, I mean, it's the largest medical device manufacturer in the world. And uh, from the dividend side of things, they've, they've paid a growing dividend for 45, 46 straight years. Um, current yield is roughly 3.3%. They've increased that, on going back, Joe, onto the, the growth rate of the, the dividend, 10% a year over the past 10 years. So we like them a lot. Obviously, 2022 is terrible to Medtronic. Um, this year, it's kind of turned just recently mm-hmm. on the price side, but that, that would be our pick in that space. Jenny, you want to opine on that? Because you do own that. We own that actually, surprisingly, in our discipline growth strategy with the, with the purpose being high free cash flow yield. So it's interesting. When did you buy Medtronic? Have you owned that for a long time or a short time? We've been buying it continuously. Mm-hmm. So not one sticking point. But and, and what I love about it right now is the reason it's down this year, what, the reason it's had a tough time, and the reason the yield's particularly juicy, where it actually could work for either the discipline growth strategy or the equity income, is because when the GLP-1 drugs came out, right, and people started losing weight, everyone freaked out and was like, oh, geez, now they're going to not need new hips and new knees. But that ship sailed. There's like 30 years of damage to bodies that have carried too much weight. And so that's actually like a real misconception on how long it's going to take before new hips and new knees aren't needed. So great opportunity. Yeah, yeah. On yeah that. I have a question. So when you take a look at that, so despite the dependable dividend growth, I'm just going to chart. The chart's lower than where it was in 2016. Yeah, that's tough part. So, so it had a great year in 21, mm-hmm. but overall, I mean, when I take a think about stocks of what they've done over the last seven, eight years without dividends, without yeah. dividend growth. Mm-hmm. So, why why do you like why that do we like it? So that's yeah. the that is the that's the difficult thing, and it's almost I don't want to say contrarian, but we buy the companies for the dividend and the yield to collect the income over time and compound. The problem how do you being when, when you're paying taxes on that. How do you For compound it? When, when you pay, I mean, you're compound. You're paying taxes on dividends. Right. So immediately you're compounding on a lower. Your net, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's you know it depends. Obviously, it depends on what type of, as we advise clients, what type of uh, account the the tax status of the account is too. So you know there are clients inside of their retirement accounts, their IRAs or or whatever. It, you know that's that's a totally different. So you, you like utilities side. too. Um, yeah. which have been, you know, at times this year, a real hot button sector um, for, you know, these dramatic losses that we saw in the space, you know, as yields obviously went way up, utilities became much less attractive. And you saw a stretch of, gosh, I feel like it was 11, 12, 13 straight days where utilities were uh, in the garbage can. You like AEP, American Electric Power. Why? So, and Jenny, I don't know if you agree on this, but utilities in general, obviously the worst performing sector of the year. Um, you look at them, you can almost throw a dart and pick one. There's so many that are just, their valuations have obviously can't come down. Mm-hmm. But AEP, we picked it mainly because, of the again, we're talking dividends mainly for the dividend. And so, um, you know, they're... 
14 years of straight dividend growth, um, and they've increased about 5% a year on average for over the past 10 years. So it's just one of many that you could pick in utility area. And again, kind of the expectation of rates coming down, the cuts that potentially are going to happen next year, utilities are clearly an obvious sector that we should be looking at. Jenny, real quick. I think I've actually mostly been out of utilities and looking at them to re-enter because for a while there, the valuations got way too pushed up when there was a yield chase. And so right about now is when you can start to start to look at them again. I'm not mm-hmm. sure I'm quite ready to go back in. Matt, I appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank we'll you very much. Matt Powers. Thank you. All Joining us post line coming up, the Fed set the table for rate cuts sometime next year. We're taking a look at which sectors tend to outperform the best and worst when those cuts begin. Halftime's back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. We're back. Let's get to Dom Chu now, who has our sector performance when the Fed starts cutting rates. Best and worst, Dom. The best and worst of it. But it's also about the question of where the Fed would cut rates from in a position of strength on the economy or in a position of weakness in response to an economic downturn or a recession in the works. Right now, the S&P 500 up about 24 percent on a year to day basis has also kind of put valuations to a point where they've been on average on a forward P.E. basis over the last five years. Now, going back to 2000, Ryan Dietrich at the strategist over at Carson Group took a look at the rate cutting cycles from the Fed since the year 2000. And if you factor in this idea that current futures markets are pricing in an 88 percent chance of the first Fed rate cut coming in March, with almost 100 percent chance of it coming later on in the year as well, is this going to be done from a position of strength or weakness in the economy? Well, it has been in the past from a position of weakness. So if you take a look at the cyclical sectors that fall the most in response to Fed rate cutting cycles, it's been energy, financials and technology all down north of 20 percent on average during those rate cutting cycles. Now, if you take a look at the outperformers, they're still down, but just not as much. Consumer discretionary down about 12 percent. Consumer staples down 9 percent and healthcare down about 3 percent. So generally more defensive sectors and maybe one more retail oriented kind of cyclical one. But overall, Scott, it all depends on whether or not this is an economic downturn in the works or whether or not this bull market can keep going. But keep those eyes on those sectors. I'll send things back over. Yeah, that's why I almost put an asterisk by by all of these, because you just don't know to what degree, you know, they're going to they can or they have to when cutting rates. Dom, thank you. Dom Chu, up next, call the day. It's the one buy on a big bank. It's up more than 10% this month alone. Steve Weiss in the stock. We'll debate it next. call the day. It's Piper Sandler today saying, buy Bank of America. Maybe time to add to your portfolio. Steve Weiss, you already do. Mm -hmm. They say shares have broken out. uh, Back above the 10 and the 30-week moving averages. 
Next level of resistance is near 36. It's at just shy of 34. What do you think? Yeah, so look, so I own Goldman as well. Um, you'll own these banks and you'll add to it. I'm looking, I'd cut Bank of America back, as you recall, many months ago. And I look at adding, or I look at adding to Morgan, buying Morgan Stanley. The point is, is that what's going to make these stocks go is the IPO market, the M&A market. So rates have to come down for both of those to occur. And then they'll do quite well. Well, they've already, look, I mean, Rates They've coming had down. A in anticipation. BFA is up 36% since the end of October. Right. But it's still nowhere near the highs that it was, right? No. It's still big time off the highs, right? So it's not the most exciting bank. Uh, Moynihan's a phenomenal CEO, and you're buying the CEOs for each of these, whether it's Jamie Dimon or whether it's David Solomon, I'm also a big fan of. That's what you're buying these for, and you're buying them right now. They're still, I think, fairly priced here. In other words, I think there's upside. They're not overpriced. So you've got B of A at about 10 times earnings. You don't have much earnings growth, right? You've got it nine times next year. Still not much earnings growth. So you need those rates to come down and start triggering catalysts for it to grow. Yeah. Otherwise, I think that the gains here for now and not going to do much for all the banks. Joe, frankly. JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley. JP Morgan. JP Morgan is about to complete a record year for a bank. No bank has ever earned more money than JP Morgan is going to earn this year. Um, without question for me personally, buying JP Morgan in March during the regional banking crisis was my trade of the year. And if you think about what JP Morgan was able to do in that environment, it's the same thing they were able to do in 2008. It's why Jamie Dimon is Jamie Dimon. Think about Washington Mutual. Think about Bear Stearns. Jamie Dimon gets First Republic in March. How does that look right now? It looks absolutely fantastic, an unbelievable acquisition that no one else was able to compete hey. with him at the time to acquire. We'll give you some love on that. We'll throw you some shade because selling Morgan Stanley and Bank of America. I'm back at Morgan Stanley. I know you are now. I'm but. back at Morgan Stanley. The destination is above 100. Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to be bothered by the fact I got out of that. In the case of Bank of America, I will get back into Bank of America at some point. But Steve's right. Bank of America was a $50 stock in February of 2022. They just have to right now deal with the unrealized losses on the low interest assets that they have. And that's the challenge for them. You know, I think Steve said something really important, which is for these banks, you buy the CEOs. And Moynihan is extraordinary. I actually saw him last month, or this month even, at the Goldman Sachs Financial Services Conference. And you're just struck by what an incredible leader he is. They're doing things like taking market share in investment banking and capital markets. But here's the thing. I don't think you need a catalyst for these guys. They're trading at like under 10 times earnings. They're producing significant cash flow. You don't always need a, ca a catalyst for the stock to do well. Sometimes uh, it just does uh, well. You kind of do. Not always. Do. Not always. Well, because the argument for these stocks is all, had always been, well, there's so many times below book, and the stocks didn't do okay, anything. But how about the fact that they're trading at nine times and just simply the net present value of their future cash flows is valuable today? And maybe people just wake up, especially as there's limited growth and limited upside for the bigger guys who've had more earnings growth. Maybe they just need to keep producing earnings. All right, right coming now. up, the semis have been red hot this year. We're going to trade that, debate it, if the trade's overbought or not. We'll do it next. Chip sector it surged more than 70% this year, a number of names trading near 52-week highs. Christina Partsinevelis joins us now with the setup into 2024. So we're having the best year in 20 since 2003 for the SMH. 
I own the SMH because we're allowed to trade ETS, right? right. <laughs> so I, I feel well, it. I, I feel so the positivity. But right. uh, NVIDIA is cheap and at the center. And I'm going to start with NVIDIA because it's at the center of uh, just the beginning of this AI bull. A boom. This is according to the bulls. But UBS technical analysts argue the, quote, unprecedented market concentration of the Magnificent Seven is an end cycle phenomenon and not the start of a new super room. I know you guys briefly talked about that earlier. They are, quote, bearish mega cap technology and would short NVIDIA where they see the risk of 20 to 30 percent correction in the first half of next year. Switching to Micron, a name that often comes up given their high bandwidth memory that's used for AI systems. DigiTimes today is reporting that NVIDIA is actually prepaying Micron to get its hands on the memory chips for fear of a shortage. Reached out to NVIDIA, they declined to comment. But that demand right there has analysts also really bullish on the name, uh, like JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, reordering buy ratings. And then lastly, sentiment around Qualcomm is less enthusiastic. enthusiastic. The stock is up, what, 32 percent year to date. The company secured an Apple contract and the smartphone market appears to be making a comeback. But Mike, uh, Morgan Stanley is downgrading the stock to equal a pointing specifically just one of the points, the third point on your screen to always return to the Chinese market, which is going to be a major headwind for Qualcomm. So there's still mixed sentiment for chips in general going into 2024. NVIDIA, yes, commentary, but a lot of the notes mm-hmm. are looking for these under the radar plays. Broadcom's still up there. Micron seems to be dominating as well. You have a lot of these names. Sure do. What do you so how does your thought process work now given what we said was the best year in 20 for this space when you own I don't know I got like it seems like at least 10 names on my list for you. Yeah, many of them at 52 week highs, some of them at all time highs. Um, take a profit. The, the report no? the report is correct. These stocks are technically overbought. Mm. You mentioned declines of 20 to 30 percent. Um, I think I mentioned last week NVIDIA is probably about 18 percent above its 200-day moving average. You go through the list, whether it's Broadcom, Lamb Research, they're all 20 to 30 percent above their 200-day moving average. So technically, they are in need of what I would call a correction. I see it as not only possible, but probable in the first quarter of of 2024. Does that mean we kind of move away from uh, holding these positions? I don't think so, because fundamentally, these are still the type of companies that we believe in, and we've seen the turn in the semi-cycle. One name I'll mention is OnSemi. OnSemi is in a different position. OnSemi has actually struggled. More recently, it's recovering. I think it's right at its 200-day moving average. Exposed to auto, right? Yes, exposed to auto, and that's the reason for uh, the struggles that it's had. So that's one name you could look at. I think the report is spot on. Jenny, you got Intel, Skyworks, Teradyne real quick. Similar, right? Look at each one separately. Just like Joe highlighted, Ion, you can look at Skyworks. It hasn't participated as much. It's trading pretty cheap, 18 times. Mm-hmm. Decent earnings growth ahead. All right, Christina, thank you. Christina Partsinevelos, owner of the SMH. Final trades are next. <laughs> All right, 3 o'clock, closing bell. Well, we got a big guest today. Jeremy Siegel, Dr. Siegel for the Wharton School is going to join us. We'll get his outlook for 2024, see where he thinks stocks are going to go. Cameron Dawson joining the conversation as well, so I hope to see you in a couple hours from now. Final trades. Mr. Weiss, what you got? I got Microsoft, Scott. may surprise you. And you know what? It's been an underperformer over the last month. So I, I think it catches up to the NASDAQ, and I think it does well into next year. Jenny, on, on to you. All Jenny. right. I was going to say touche. <laughs> Jenny, 
Okay. What do you have? Whirlpool. Um, trading with a five and three quarter yield, 10 times earnings. If rates come down and housing starts continue up and Goldman's right and we have GDP growth beating expectations and the consumer spending beats expectations should be good for Whirlpool. Yeah, 10 times earnings, more palatable valuation, right? Okay. What do you Twil got? Twilio, about to break out to a high for 2023. You just bought that back, right? I did. When was that? Last week. All right. Speaking of new highs, about 20 points or so away on the S&P. See what we can do over the final stretch as we take into the finish on the closing bell. I obviously will see you then again. Don't forget, Dr. Siegel, Jeremy Siegel joining The Exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.